Hello and welcome to episode two of this season of High Flyer. My name is Mimi Dalton and I've got another brilliant guest lined up for you today, soprano extraordinaire Juliet Fraser. Now, not only can Juliet be found all over Europe, if not all over the world, premiering works by composers, but she's also co-director of the record label All That Dust, artistic director of Eavesdropping Festival and director of a new programme, Voicebox, training performance of contemporary music. So without further ado, let's meet Juliet. Hi Juliet and welcome to High Flyer. It's really wonderful to have you here. Thanks Mimi, it's my pleasure. It's so exciting for me to have you on as a guest today as you were a huge part of my inspiration in deciding to try and stop flying and I wondered if for the benefit of my listeners you'd be happy to talk about how you made that decision to try and stop. Um, well, firstly, thank you. I'm I'm very touched <laughs> that I should have um, inspired inspired you to get thinking about this. And uh, of course, you and I have had quite a few conversations about it. So it's it's nice to have a public conversation, as it were. Mm. Well, I haven't actually, for the record, taken the decision to stop entirely. I do sometimes get framed as a as a hardcore no fly person. And whilst I I like the idea of working towards that I haven't yet sort of boxed myself into that completely because there are times when um, a project arises on the other side of the world when I when I have to consider taking a flight to get there such as New York or Canada or whatever but it's been a a long process I think um, I was looking back through some of my diary records this morning where I keep my lists of New Year's resolutions, which has historically <laughs> been a thing that I've been quite fanatical about. It was in 2019 I found that I, I made a New Year's resolution to cut my air miles by half and then in 2020 to, to reduce them further. So I was going to cap them at 10 flights in in the year though of course that was then interrupted by the pandemic i think it was it was partly because i just realized the number of short haul flights that i was taking with all this work in europe which at that point was a combination of working as part of an ensemble and also as a soloist and um the figures were just crazy um so i decided i wanted to do something about that but I would also say that um, environmentalism and questions around sustainability have been with me for a lot longer. And alongside my performing career, I did a what was supposed to be a graduate diploma, but turned into a graduate certificate, something a little smaller, at Birkbeck in London in 2010 to 2012, I think it was, in globalisation, environment and development. So this kind of this thread has been been with me for a very long time. You said that when you started thinking about not flying, you were you were working actively as part of an ensemble as well as as a soloist. Did you find that it was, I suppose, more challenging to bring this decision into your ensemble work than your solo work? It does rather depend. So, as a as a founding member, in fact, of Exaudi, um, I I don't really have any sway over that because you travel as a group and the economics of transporting nine people by train to e.g. Madrid 
rather than flying are just um, way beyond most of the promoters that that we would be working with. So um, I think it may have happened once or twice that I've taken the train independently. Um, but largely, as you know, Mimi, you'd be rehearsing in London right up until the flight and then traveling together. So that just doesn't really work. Largely, it's just the the economics of an ensemble. The fees that you're getting paid are, are lower. The the global budget is comparatively higher. Um, so you just have a lot less flexibility. I was able to engage with with this um, these alternative ways of travelling, largely because I'm lucky enough to to have most of my work as a soloist. Yes, and have you found any of it challenging, or is there anything that's kind of got easier over the years as you've I suppose got more experienced with going by land and sea. Hmm. Well, I suppose having the conversations has got easier. I was quite frightened of having those conversations with with promoters at the beginning, and I did I did put quite a lot of thought into how to frame it. I try to just keep it quite personal and quite quite unpressurized. So I try to always just have a friendly conversation and say something like okay this is the decision that I've taken for example being able to say that I've made a new year's resolution was quite fun (laughs) Um, (laughs) and uh, this is what I would like to do and this is a commitment that I've made and do you feel in a position to um, to help support me in this way Um, so not to overload a promoter with with pressure if you like but also to say to myself that even if the answer is no that doesn't necessarily mean that that I can't take the decision to to not fly. And it is also, one would hope, provoked a, a bit of reflection or a conversation with the promoter. So the change might not be immediately visible, but it, it may accumulate over time. And then I think um, really the, the impact has been wholly positive because it's also forced me to slow down a little and to, to think a bit more about the sort of rate of change between projects rather than bouncing straight from one into the other. I tend to have a, a travel day or maybe two travel days um, that allow me sort of to process what I've just done and prepare for the next one. So I would say the whole rhythm feels healthier to me. Seeing the world in a different way has been lovely. So I've had some just magnificent long distance journeys where you see the terrain and you see the weather and you see time passing in in a much happier way yeah i've definitely become one of those people completely by accident who has favorite stretches of train track just because they have spectacular views i'm i'm thinking of going up into denmark from north germany particularly it's just so beautiful and I never meant to become a train nerd, but it kind of sneaks up on you unwittingly. <laughs> That's exactly it. I mean, I, I, you know, I would have put myself somewhere near the very end of the queue for getting interested in train spotty stuff. Yeah. You know, I've still never written down the number of a, of a train carriage. And I'm certainly not an expert on timetables, but the number of selfies that I've taken of, of you know, me excitingly standard, standing on a platform waiting to get onto a sleeper train in particular, I've really fallen in love with with sleeper trains so um i'm i'm pretty nerdy about about that now i think let's talk a bit more about festivals and promoters so the people who hire us and how they can support us as artists to make sustainable choices Uh, i wondered if you first have any particularly positive examples you wanted to share 
Well, I think the, the first thing that I would say is, you know, we need to keep this as a as a we project, <laughs> as in, you know, it's not us and them as no. performers and promoters, but it's it's we as a collective. It's we as an industry, and um, we all have restrictions upon what we can and can't do and we all may take slightly different decisions on this but I think it's having the conversations whether it's about um, reducing air miles or EDI related uh, issues to do with programming whatever it is it's about having the conversations and and sort of shifting the thinking that really matters. I do have plenty of positive stories definitely and like I said I was quite trepidatious really about about broaching this issue um, when I set out with this New Year's resolution in 2019 but overwhelmingly the responses were positive and even the festivals that felt that they weren't in a position to help were definitely engaged in in my funny little mission and um, I didn't get a single hostile response. No that's good to hear. I, I hope that's encouraging to people but I do I do think how one frames it makes a big difference. But generally, I think there is an interest in engaging with this question, definitely. And I, I now, when I'm broaching the question, I now feel like I'm not the first person to do it. Whereas, whereas a few years ago, I think I was a bit of an anomaly. You've kind of laid the path for other artists. I'm sorry, that's an awful lot of responsibility to put on your shoulders. But I, I think I'm saying this, that you're not responsible now. But unwittingly, what you started doing in 2019 has made it easier for other people to initiate those conversations because it doesn't sound totally totally alien anymore as an idea well that's very kind I can think of other people that were doing it before me or alongside me but I, I wonder also if the pandemic really shifted the way that that we're thinking about things actually because so many people did a lot of reflecting about pace of pace of work pace of life even yeah um so you know a, a lot has changed since then the one other thing that I would say is that I've I've started doing a sort of shout out at the end of the year to to all the festivals and promoters that have um supported me traveling by train and I don't know how many of them see that but in in a way it's not for me so much about that promoter receiving a pat on the back as as to I don't know just celebrating what has worked for me it feels it feels very important to do that to say to acknowledge the people that have helped me travel in a different way because it's uh, sadly it still is generally a bit more expensive and it definitely just requires me or somebody doing a bit more research in, into how to get from a to b yes i've got one funny story to tell which is I, I did this amazing journey from london to helsinki by train and boat earlier this year and uh i think i arrived pretty much at the beginning of the festival and there was some sort of festival dinner happening in a lovely restaurant in downtown Helsinki and <laughs> when I walked in everybody was saying are you the girl that's arrived by boat <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it was just it was so completely wonderful not to be are you the soprano but are you the absolutely mad person that has arrived on a 36 hour cargo boat from yeah. Newbeck 36 so, hours oh my goodness Juliet yeah, it, no, but it was it was amazing, Mimi. It was I like the the this. I can still remember watching the sunset and this this feeling of standing on this this strange huge deck, you know, with the markings out for a helicopter to land, looking at all these um, cargo containers and and such. And it was it was super super fun. So you know, there are all sorts of somewhat life changing experiences that that come out of this. It does kind of change my mindset of of a whole pro
project you know i now look at that helsinki engagement and it's it's very much colored by the adventure of of getting there and the adventure of going on to do other things and when the pressure gets difficult about the performing somehow this this sense of anyway being on a larger adventure on a larger part of a larger life experience really helps to keep um keep the perspective a bit more balanced if that makes sense yeah and I don't know about you but I find it very discombobulating now to take a flight uh I find the idea of being able to get from Germany to England in two hours I'm not ready when I arrive you know but as you say sometimes you do have to take a flight and I've been quite interested recently in looking into how I can offset that in an ethical way or maybe whether I can donate to an environmental charity I'd love I feel like you're the kind of person who would have thought about this, Juliet, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, firstly, I, I don't ever have to take a flight. I mean, I have to frame all of this um, with agency, you know. It's it's that I decide that that is a project that I want to do, um, that I that I want to do enough that it's worth taking a flight. So, so there's, um, you know, there's a choice there and there's a mm. compromise there. Um, yeah, I, I have been offsetting since definitely since 2019 and I, I think since before that and that is part and parcel of um, some of these conversations that I have so I remember when um, when I was writing to promoters in 2019 I think there was a, a sentence in there that said if you don't feel able to support the cost of my train travel um, might you consider contributing to the offsetting of a flight now offsetting is a really complicated issue the way I approach it is to try every now and then and to, to do some more research into it and to to see how the conversation has evolved and and what the debates are about it currently because I think it it could be quite easy to think great that's a perfect solution um, here's the company that I'm going to use to to offset they've got their calculator I can put in my flights bish bash bosh done yeah. It doesn't feel to me like a very stable solution, but I think that's okay because it kind of keeps me engaged in in the debate. Yes, thank you. That's really interesting. And I'm starting to look into who's doing environmental work, where I'm travelling to if I have to fly, and whether that's something I can support as well. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's really interesting to hear how other, other people approach it always because... I suppose anyone who's engaged with this question of whether or not to fly at all, which isn't, you know, isn't everyone, is more likely to then be engaged with whether or not offsetting is a good thing, right? What more do you think that we could be doing as an industry to tackle questions of sustainability? And I'm not just talking about travel anymore. For example, a lot of, a lot of stuff is streamed and digital media is used a lot in contemporary music performance particularly. I do you think that our industry is um, somewhat on the back foot with with quite a lot of these questions? And, and it's funny that in, in some ways we seem to engage with them as trendy topics, but somehow it doesn't quite trickle through to a change in behaviour, which is why I think it's so important to keep the conversation going. We see a lot of pieces and a lot of um, festival themes programming around the climate crisis but it doesn't necessarily provoke proper questioning about the the systems that we have in place um 
And yeah, I do find myself again and again raising the question about the, the carbon footprint of all this data, basically, um, whether it's uh, documentation data or actually sort of um, the processing data of performance. And I'm one to talk because I've commissioned all these pieces for voice and electronics. Um, but yeah, it's you know it's been very trendy and it will continue to be trendy to to engage with cutting edge technologies um i'm not sure i would want to squash that that's not at all what i'm saying we need as artists to to engage with the the things of our time and technology is going to continue to be part of that but there yeah there is an environmental cost to that and that's not being discussed an awful lot yet it seems to me basically a question of personal ethics and whether you're a freelance performer or part of an organisation, um, if you're moved by any of these crises, then I think we have a responsibility to to try and respond. Yeah. I, I do really feel that the, the dial should be shifting faster in our industry. So, for example, the number of festivals that have experimented with being flight free or pushed some question of sustain of sustainability quite far are still very very few and whilst I'm happy to be an, an artist provoking those conversations I, I wish that I had more of a sense that it was coming in both directions it it needs to feel like you said earlier like this is a we not an any kind of I suppose people taking sides it's not really individual action there's there's a lot of us doing it so it is a collective movement absolutely so Juliet, you do also i know curate your own festivals within our world of contemporary music how do you approach the question of sustainability in that role oh yes that's a good question yeah so i do sometimes have to wear the other hat don't i <laughs> um yeah well this is something that i'm thinking about a lot my festival eavesdropping is is very small but we yeah we haven't flown anyone in for for quite a while that does change slightly the where I'm art, asking artists to, to travel from so um, I am always thinking about the train journey that they would take but yeah I'm trying to trying to test out how this works as a promoter as well so both with eavesdropping and now with voice box which is uh, the programme that I've created for uh, singers specialising in contemporary vocal performance. We're trying to do all of that without flying. So that does mean quite a lot of international journeys from Europe and Eurostar dependence on Eurostar. So it's more expensive, but we just put that into the budget. That's really brilliant. And do you find that artists, the artists you're engaging are on board with this? Yeah, so far. Actually, as, as I talk, I realise that that's not quite true. We did have somebody who flew one way and took the train back, so it depends on their schedules. But yeah, sometimes one senses it's something new and uh, they're a little bit freaked out by the time <laughs> that it might take to do the journey. But again, it's just about having the conversation and I, I wouldn't bully somebody into taking the train no. at this stage. I'm not that hardcore enough about it but um yeah it's about having the conversation and, and supporting them to to take that decision if that's if that works for their schedule i'd love to know if you have any advice for other artists considering cutting down on flights oh yeah have a go i mean i think my advice is try and keep it joyful because uh 
I think that's just more compelling for everybody. And we all know that there that there is a climate crisis. So I think it's you know it's easier to bring people on board if it's if it feels like a passion project rather than a sort of you know a, a depressive episode. Um, use um, seat61.com, <laughs> which is um, I'm sure you know that website. Maybe, I but do it's, very it's well. A great, great website. He's also on, he's also on Twitter. In fact, did you? See, I don't think you. Maybe you'll have seen this. He announced on Twitter yesterday that there is a new London to Paris train planned to open in 2025 to compete with the Eurostar. Oh, that's very interesting. It is. But there's also um, a new. Now, hang on. Where does it start? I think it's Brussels to Prague, and I also hear rumours of a of a new Paris to Madrid. I think it is, which which was there. I remember taking it in like. 2008 or something but they closed it for for a long time so i think the trend is being re reversed slightly and actually this this backs up that point about a collective people taking individual action that eventually the the train companies are listening and putting on services that are more useful for us yeah so i mean thinking about advice i you know my, my advice is definitely definitely give it a go i think uh personally i've it, like when i began it was sort of a a combination of sometimes the promoters covering the costs and sometimes me thinking okay well this is something that I'm prepared to put the extra 50 quid or 100 quid or whatever into it because I want to see how this works and you know sort of find my legs as it were not my sea legs but my train legs yeah <laughs> so I, I think again you know we can't we can't um, necessarily put all the responsibility on on other people it has to be a bit of a, a team effort which of course depends on us having enough enough money to be able to do that but yeah I, I think just have a go if you're if you're interested and and talk to I'm happy to talk to anybody about how I've done it and I'm sure you are too Mimi to give give tips about um you know how to research these things or where the danger spots tend to be which is generally Cologne or anything to do with Deutsche Any, anything to do with Germany yeah <laughs> I feel like this has been such a positive chat. I don't really want to ask you about your worst experience unless you've got a particularly good story to share. Uh, but I'd love to hear about your best long journey. I'm happy to say that I, I can't think of any worst experiences um, apart from running <laughs> across <laughs> Paris with a suitcase to try and catch a night train and catching it by the skin of my teeth. Yeah, best best experiences quite a few that journey from london to helsinki is definitely up there and not just the boat bit but the the series of trains from london to to lubeck um that was really great um an amazing train journey from oslo to bergen oh i think this was also earlier this year i've done some really epic journeys this year but i did london to bratislava <gasps> wow Th that was very very cool and even better than that I then went from Bratislava to Vittoria Gasteiz in northern Spain that part of the world east no western Spain and Portugal is actually very very hard to get to at the moment um by by train but uh yeah Bratislava to to Vittoria was incredible yeah you must um, have passed through so many different landscapes and yeah, climates I did yeah absolutely oh yeah that was really fun and then some um some long train journeys uh in north america so i did montreal to moncton and then um new york to chicago which is 
which is not actually all that far, but you know, you tell an American that you've gone from New York to Chicago and they all think you're completely crazy. So that was the most fun aspect of that trip. <laughs> 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 that you got got people to re-examine you with wide eyes. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Juliet, thank you so much. It's been really, really wonderful to have you on as a guest and to hear all your thoughts about this. Yeah, my pleasure, Mimi. Thank you for choosing Deutsche Bahn today. Take care and goodbye.